Good evening and welcome to this special relationship drama uh, episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I am your co-host Dave Kale. Uh, I think it's been a. I think I missed one or two recently, and then we've had a had a break. So it's been a while since uh, folks have seen me. Uh, and but fortunately, I'm here tonight, and as always, I'm joined by Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Marie and Nick, our head writers. How are y'all this evening? Are you ready to like really dig into this like CW style? Um, uh, <laughs> Don't get me started. Teen drama. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, this is, um, you know, if we were kind of dealing with, um, you know, back in episode four, right. That was the, that was the Tenuviel Tenuvio episode. Right. Um, you know, and so that was the first challenge of like, how do we do with, uh, you know, montage in the forests, you know, Baron and Luthien falling in love. That was kind of, uh, navigating the first, um, difficult waters in trying to depict Baron and Luthien's relationship, you know, just apart from going through the normal plot here. Um, we have this really interesting interlude, um, and in which we're following the text, but there's, again, there's, there's a lot there. How do you, um, again, it's another really interesting example. Um, following the outline that Tolkien gives at this point. This is, of course, last time we talked about the leap of Baron and the fight with Kel Gorman Kurafin. Um, and so now we're starting off with the healing of Baron by Luthien and then them trying to decide where they're going to go and, oh, do we have your dad's permission? And, hey, should we just run away or what should we do? And Baron sneaking off and leaving her behind and her being like, what the heck? So uh, this is really the episode. And, and I get all those things are just that's exactly what happens in the book. We, we, I don't think we've changed anything about the outline of, for Baron and Luthien's story in this episode. I think it's following... Pretty much. Uh, I don't think we've omitted it. We might have added some wrinkles or some discussion, certainly, but I don't think we've admitted omitted anything from the outline in the text, have we? Right. It's just some additions this time. And some of those additions are meant to be the natural follow up of what would lead to the event Tolkien describes. Exactly. Right. Like so, yeah, actually, it's pretty actually showing the conversation that he just says happens. essentially. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are a few things that are definite additions on our part that might be considered changes if people didn't picture it going that way. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know our B-plot is the big addition, is, is a, a big addition, of course. But the, the A-plot, the Baron and Luthien stuff. But anyway, again, it's just, it's another really wonderful example of where, like, you know, you go to just sort of depict exactly the, the, the story, the outline, right, that Tolkien gives uh, in his various versions of this story. Um, and you find there's a whole lot of adding, there's a whole lot of extra stuff that you've got to do in order to actually, in order to actually put people on screen, having these conversations and working this stuff out. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, Meow wants to know, has... Uh, uh, Warner Brothers approached us uh, yet. Uh, not Well, let me just say, if they had, I would not be at liberty to say anything about it. So that's, uh, that's, that's the situation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, but no, actually no. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, quick announcements before we move forward. Um, 
Uh, one film film related thing. Casting nominations are now open. So uh, come and make nominations for casting. Um, we don't have too many major characters who are up for casting in this season. We, we kind of went through and discussed those uh, before. Um, but... Um, uh, but we do uh, we do have casting nominations open, so uh, go to the message boards uh, to nominate your choices for season six roles. Uh, there's 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 rules there. You need to post uh, pictures. You can only put it's the the primary rule is the person has to have an IMDb page, right, Marie? That's the the the, the rule. Right. So, actor must be alive, must have an IMDb page, and must be someone we haven't cast yet, which is getting harder and harder to keep track of. <laughs> as the seasons go on. So there is a list on the forums of actors who have already been cast in case you're like, gee, is this person in some film yet? Um, yeah. And then from there, yeah, just to the rest of it is, is procedural of how to post a uh, nomination and what information to include in your post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So that'll be, uh, uh, that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, okay, and also we have moots coming up. Our regional, our spring regional moot season has begun. Um, we've got sunshine moot coming up very soon, next weekend, about ten days from today, um, down in near Orlando, Florida, uh, and then Tex moot next month. We've got maple moot. That's now official, official, and registration is open uh, for maple moot. Our first ever Canadian moot. Uh, located in Toronto on May 20th. Um, and then, of course, Mythmoot, the, our big annual conference in Leesburg, Virginia, from the 22nd to the 25th of June. Uh, and if you're planning way ahead, we do have Middlemoot in Waterloo, Iowa, coming up this fall on October 14th. There'll be other fall moots, too. There's a bunch we're still uh, sorting out for the uh, uh, September through November window there. But... Um, these are the ones that are coming up imminently. Uh, very excited! I'll be I'll be uh, at uh, I'll be in Orlando pretty soon. So anyway, um, this is uh, um, yeah. See, Kanji says he needs to get into the whole moot planning thing. Is you seem to be the only part of the country not covered. Which part is that? <laughs> we may be able to hook you up. We'll see. Um, there are fewer and fewer parts of the country all the time that are not covered, actually. Um, uh, we, uh, one of the big... That's, uh, that's Pacific Northwest is the part we're uh, looking but, at there. But it's funny you should mention that, because that has been our biggest hole so far. But um, I think the Pacific Northwest may come this fall. Um we have a we have a strong lead on the Pacific Northwest uh, for um, I'm not sure whether it'll be Portland or Seattle, but it'll be one of the two, I think, uh, and possibly this fall. So we're we're sorting that. We're sorting that. It's, we're, 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 that's not quite announceable officially yet, but that is definitely in the works. Um, that's been on my list, my the shortest of my lists of ones that one that I really wanted to do for quite some time. All right, well, let us get back to our discussion. So. Here we are back in our normal location. So we're uh, Baron and Luthien, like at where Baron is currently lying bleeding is what between Tolsirian and the Fens of Serek? Is no, because they went south. They went south from Tolsirian. Right, right. Um, they went south. So we're are we on the road to to Bretho, Vaguely. Yeah, so that road that goes across the north of the Forest of Brethel, we're somewhere in that vicinity. Somewhere around here. Okay. 
somewhere vaguely near where the word Brithiach appears on the map. Sure. Okay. Uh, but okay. they would be to the west of the Brithiach. Right. Of the actual right. fort. Of the actual Brithiach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, I just realizing I never actually asked that question of myself before. Like, where on the map does this scene, like the Baron's Leap and, and, and all that stuff, where exactly does that take place? So, okay. So we're down here-ish uh, in order to um, uh, in order to figure that out. Okay. All right, fine. Um, so we are in episode nine here. So we're, um, we're getting there. So we... So the, the, there's no, sorry, I was mistaken. There's no B plot at all. We're just skipping B and going straight to C in this episode. Is, is that, is, okay, that's good. Yeah. We can't give Dairon a, you know, a little promotion, even temporarily here. No. Uh, it depends how much storyline and how many scenes we dedicate to I see. the plot line. And with Dairon, we have a bit of a story. Yeah. And there are some scenes, but we were stretching it to get him to have a full story. So right. if he's a B plot, it's only because he sings a few times <laughs> <laughs> to kind of fill out his role, which is, I which mean, is it's not on. insignificant. Yeah. Right. Can... It's bits, it's bits, but we were pushing as much as we could with his story and it still only took up so much screen time. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. No worries. All right. So let's, um, Let's talk about episode nine, which is, of course, not actually a filler episode. So let me just say, um, I, I like that. I like that. Not a, not a filler episode, really. That's the working title of this episode, basically. I am forever and always um, open to suggestions on titles for episode titles. Yeah, uh, yeah. I put that in there to be silly, but the reason I was thinking like that was we have such an important action sequence in the middle of the season with the whole Tulsarian situation. And then we have Angband coming up next episode. So this really does feel like the episode where nothing happens because there's no big fight. There's no advancement of the villain plot or anything. It's just focusing on our heroes, getting them moving in the right direction. So it's an, yeah, it's an important thing for them, but it might feel like nothing actually happened. <laughs> right, so. right, right. Certainly less action-packed than many others, but I, I, um, I certainly don't think action is the only goal. You have to have know. a story, and things yeah. need to happen, and character development is part of storytelling. <laughs> it is. Oh, hang on, Nick. I think you're. Uh, we're not getting sound from you. Hmm. Still not. <laughs> um, okay, so I think I can talk to you now, but I gotta still gotta fix this because um, <laughs> I'm sure that the sound coming from that mic is not very good. The character development that's in this episode is, I think, extremely important. It's the most important character development that happens for um, for Dairon, certainly. Um, but also, the we're taking this opportunity to allow especially Luthien to deal with issues that she really hasn't yes. kind of processed yet. Like, she, 
yes, she's kind of aware of the fact that Baron is mortal. But I don't, despite the fact that everybody has told her, hey, this is important, she still hasn't really thought it through yet what that means. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's kind of what she's doing here. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I will say, I actually, I really loved the outline of this episode. I think it's beautiful. I think it works very, very well. There's there's a lot of real elegance to this. And that it, I thought it brings up really effectively a bunch of things that are, like, it not only brings up important issues in the sense of like, no, let's have exposition about some really important things. Um, but it it does so in a really natural way that like that fits in really well with this moment and the things that are going on, you know, like for instance, um, the fact that she is healing Baron with difficulty from a nearly fatal wound is a perfect time to have her contemplating his mortality and what that means and what their relationship means long-term. I mean, if she's ever going to, you know, stop to think that through a little bit more carefully. Now is is the the perfect time to do that. Even more, much more, even actually, than just when she knew that he was in danger. Right before she knew he was in danger, she knew he was going off possibly to his death. She knew that he was imprisoned. Right? She she had been told that. Um, but of course, like so is Finrod. That's not it's not a mortal thing, right? Like I'm in prison and might be killed by Sauron is you know something mortals and elves have in common. There's nothing there's nothing there to really trigger her reflection on what this really means, right? And now, of course, we just had um, the episode before last, right? The sort of Athrobeth redux uh, with Finrod, right, in the prison. So in the context of Baron himself, now the whole, you know, this whole question of, what you know, our, the viewers have been reminded what a big deal it is, right, for humans and elves to come together um, in case they had forgotten the actual Athabeth episode, you know, back in the previous season. Um, but to have Luthien really coming to grips with that, I, I, that just seemed like a really, really natural moment for that to come together. And the way that that then combines, um, I felt that the, the, her, her thinking through and the kind of the decisions that she was making about her as an elf coming together with a mortal man in this way. And and so the way that that sets up her feelings of uncertainty and betrayal when he lies to her and sneaks off. Right. Um, It just, it it made that scene, I think even more powerful in that way, because she's kind of made this big, unilateral decision, you know, while he's still unconscious <laughs> basically. And then, um, after he's awake, he seems to kind of undermine. Anyway, I just, I, I thought that that set things up really interestingly. And then the way in which it overlays with the Diron story, especially the music bits. I mean, you had me at like the pipe playing in the background and stuff. I love that. I thought that was, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to some of those details, I'm sure. But, um, in general, I thought that uh, uh, that this this episode was really, really interesting, despite the fact that nothing much actually occurs. Um, and I assume we'll talk about the transformation, the the wolf and bat thing a little bit more. We've talked about that some, I know, but um, 
my impression was that we're just kind of drawing the curtain on that almost entirely, right? Like, uh, and now they're a wolf and a bat and don't ask any questions. <laughs> kind of, it was the vague impression I got, but. Right. I mean, we, we did talk about this earlier with the magic and yeah. the general idea was that we established Theron Gwethel's cloak from the very beginning of Theron right. Gwethel's storyline. Right. So that all we would have to do is hand the cloak to Luthien and have Luthien put it on and turn herself into a bat. Right. right. And the audience won't ask a question because they've seen it happen before. And it's yes, the magic cloak. Yeah. 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 And yes, it was Theron Gwethel's. And so Luthien is tapping into Theron Gwethel's magic to do this. But we don't need to show any details there of how yeah. that's happening. With the other um, hame of Draglúin, it's a little trickier in that we don't want to really show any of that, like any of it at all. <laughs> um, like Baron strapping the uncured yeah. hide of the werewolf to his person, or yeah. Uh, so the fact we want to try and do that thing where, like, you show something on screen and be like, this object exists. And then in the next scene, it's in use. So the whole, like, here's the, here's the wolf pelt. Here's Baron as a wolf. No question. So, so I, I gotta say though, I, I am kind of fascinated by the idea of him starting to put on the wolf aim. And as he's doing it, like the actual transformation occurring, like you have like a, like like a zoom in of his hand turning into into the claw, you know the claw of the werewolf and so on. Um, I I think that could be really cool. I don't know if it's a because it's kind of horror movie horror movie. A little it's, bit. It's a little horror and it's body horror, which is and I don't know if that's a a element that we want to introduce in the final moments of the episode. Um, well, my biggest problem with it would be how to do that with the correct, like, I don't know, uh, like tone. Um, right. While sending like, all what's the, the music telling? Signals. What is yeah. the music yeah, I mean, telling the audience here? Yes. Because so, normally like the kind of description, the kind of transformation that you're describing Sounds exactly like a standard I'm turning into a werewolf, uh, you know, transformation sequence, except that's absolutely not what's happening. Right. Normally, that means like either, you know, like the the sort of the the message, the bone cracking and visually conveyed is like the beast within me is being manifested outwardly or someone is, you know, exerting their power upon me to twist me into an evil and you know, a violent creature that is alien to my normal, like, mode, right? Like, that's the kind that that's normally one of those two things, right, is normally sort of werewolf mode. Um, but to s- we would have to do it in such a way that what we were conveying is this is both a voluntary, benevolent, and non-character altering transformation that is, yeah. that is you know, and, and that is so alien to any kind of association that people have with those kinds of visual transformations. It'd be hard to do. So there's a a couple of things. One is that we could start out with Luthien taking on the form of Thorn Grethel, because I I don't think that would be, 
that's not hard. Nearly as it's not as gross. Like basically, no. just use the same effect that we use when Thorgwethel turns into a bat. Right. And Even except- if only because there's nobody else's body parts involved. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um, and we could do something to the effect of, you know, she does that, and Baron's like, "Okay, how did you do that?" And then the next shot we see is them running across the plane in the very forms that you have behind you there. Um, but I don't know if, like, because it does feel a little cowardly to shy <laughs> to too just far totally away. Off screen. Yeah. 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 So, it yeah, does. Oh, the question is if you can avoid all the things we need to avoid. And I, I know that when Tolkien took his first stab at this, it was, all right, we're going to sew him into the wolf pelt, and then she's going to teach him how to walk <laughs> like a wolf, walk like a wolf. <laughs> and we're going to do it that way. And clearly he moved away from that direction as being somewhat silly. Yeah. Not the storyline he was going for. It was definitely comical uh, in the Book it, of Lost Tales. Which is fine. I mean, that's what it was kind of supposed to be. But yeah. He, but yeah, he took a step away from that and the step away from it is don't give the details. Right. <laughs> You're like, he transformed. Okay. <laughs> so since we have to show everything visually, we have to choose details if we're going to show it. And yeah. I acknowledge the challenge that it would be difficult to show this kind of transformation without it looking painful. Mm-hmm. And without it implying something about Baron becoming a werewolf that we are going to never come back to, because once he drops the wolf fame in Angban next episode, he's never going to be a wolf again. Like, yeah. like that, he's that's... not being he's not changed in any way. Right. It doesn't affect him. Yeah. So I'm pretty OK with just showing him randomly as a wolf and the audience going, wait, what happened there? Because in the next episode, we're gonna see him come back as a human and then the wolf him fall away and be like oh it was just a disguise all along so disguise is the vibe we're going for mm-hmm. and as so for disguise you don't have a transformation like a physical transformation you have a putting on disguises montage which i don't think we want either <laughs> Like they're not playing dress up. Right. I mean, they it's, are, but it's not yeah. going to convey the magic mm-hmm. that that the that is clearly taking place. Right. And you so to, you don't want it to look like Tony Stark putting on his Iron Man armor. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's and not the early just experiments that. with it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the the. <laughs> The story, Marie, that you were describing earlier, the original kind of description, mm-hmm. that seems to be me to be a more fairy tale-esque mythic sure. telling of like if yeah, this story like if you, really if happened, put... it surely didn't happen that way. Well, yeah, it's the whole like if you put the shirts on and then they, they lose their wings and turn back into humans again right. from that story. Yes. Yeah, it's a very fairy tale. For sure. Mm-hmm. And how does that magic work? I don't know. It was magic. Right. <laughs> like, so I, I feel like we're not invited to ask too many questions about how the magic works. It's but what it's almost, how does the magic work? Yeah. Is the question here. It's, because so it, 
it's Baron's almost very Native American that version of the story. Like there's there's definitely um, like I'm thinking of uh, the the boy who turned into an eagle or uh, like there's definitely because like if I'm if I'm remembering how that went essentially he uh, he was an eagle dancer and so he had the eagle costume on and then one day he was being chased by a bunch of other boys and he leapt off a cliff wearing his eagle costume and literally turned into an eagle because because eagles Mm -hmm. liked him. Um, He was friends with the eagles. So I've said the word eagle too many times now. Um, No, yeah, I I hear that. So let's think about this from, from another perspective. What are the minimum... What is the minimum that we do need to convey in order to avoid confusion, right? Because that we certainly don't want. Mystery is okay. Like, we don't have to explain exactly how the magic works. But we don't want people to be like, what happened? Like, mm. who's the wolf? Why is Drogluin back? Or whatever. Like, they have to at least know that it's Baron. That's the minimum thing. You know, like, they, they must know that's Baron. They have to know that he's in disguise. That it's not a, transfer, a real transformation. It's just a disguise. And that he is unaltered by it. Um, and they have to know that it's Luthien's magic, right? I mean, we don't even know how the magic works, but, like, who's doing magic here, right? I mean, you know, again, she's the presumptive uh, magical figure there, but still, like... Right. So we obviously have to at least show the pelt. Like, there needs to be a pelt on screen at some point. We need to know they have Drogloin's pelt. And if we want to have Baron pick it up and in some way try to start putting it on, I'm okay with, like, the very beginning of that process. (laughs) So if we then switch to not show him, but just to show Luthien, like, put her hand on his head or something, and then the next shot is them running across the plains, we've at least shown that Luthien did something and Baron turned into the wolf. We might not know that it's a benign transformation. Like, we might be worried about Baron at this point, Right. But if it's Luthien's magic, we at least trust that it's probably okay. Right. See, her just, I don't know that her, us showing her, putting her hand on his head and nothing, like not at least showing the beginnings of that transformation would be enough to make it so that the if the ne- very next shot we see is them running, is that one, the one up there, I think it is for the yeah, viewers. Yeah. Um, they they would put it together, I'm, I'm sure, and uh, yeah. Though it might be okay. because people are not idiots, but okay. I have an so, idea. I have an idea. Okay, your idea first. Okay. And okay. If, okay. if I don't like it, then right. I'll tell you mine. Okay, go, go. All right. <laughs> now this this I mean, now I'm gonna explain it in a silly way, which might make it sound hokey, but like you you see the shape of it, right? Here, the complication is the fact that the cloak is not Luthien's magic, right? So she's not in fact doing all the transformation. She first avails herself of Thurin Gwethel's magic. And that's why I said it's important to see where the magic comes from, right? Yeah. So, so what if it goes something like this? Um, basically, they have to say, you know, somebody has to say out loud, like, we're going like, to need a disguise, right? Like, how, how are we going to be able to go in? The, like, we're going to need to be able to, to disguise ourselves. We've, we can even refer back to the disguises that they had from, from uh, Finrod. Right. With the orc disguises. Right. And so, you know, he's like, OK, we need a disguise. And um, Luthien's like, wait, hang on. I've got an idea. So she goes and she gets she takes Thuring, Thuring, Thuring Wethel's cloak. Right. And she puts it on. She turns into a bat. 
And Baron's like, whoa, dude, you just turned into a bat. And then she takes it off again, right? And resumes her own form. And he's like, well, okay, that's pretty cool. But what about me? Like, I don't have a cool bat cloak. And then she takes down uh, Drogluin's pelt and says, and basically is like, let's do this instead. And she gives that to him. And then we see the two of them running as wolf and bat. He doesn't have to even transform, but the connection has been made. Like, I put on bat cloak, I turn into bat. You put on wolfhame, you turn into wolf. Um, and there's there would still be, if nothing, if we didn't do anything else there, there would still be some doubt. Like, well, if the cloak has the magic in it that turns her into a bat, does the pelt have the magic in it that turns him into a wolf? Maybe she could sing or something, you know, or yeah, hand it to him I, and then start singing. You so know. there is an element of the Hames power. It's not just any wolf. It's the father it's of werewolves. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's, that's, that is an element surely of the um of the, of the issue um the but having her sing and it could we could literally have it, her just singing sindar in sindar and you know mm-hmm. you know grant the it grant the wearer the shape of the it, of the previous owner of the previous resident of this <laughs> of the <this> skin, skin. <laughs> Good thing no one will understand what she's saying. Oh, subtitle, <laughs> subtitle, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, um, but we don't have to subtitle because that'll kind of ruin the magic of it. You know, people on the internet will eventually figure out what she's saying. But um, having her do that allows her to tap into the the residual magic of Dracluin's form <clears throat> in the same way that she did the the cloak of Thorngrethel. Yeah. I've been thinking about the body horror thing, um, because obviously that's the to-be-avoided aspect of this werewolf mm-hmm. transformation. And um, it occurs to me that the one part of Baron that would still be present in wolf form is his eyes. He's supposed to still have recognizably his own eyes. Um, so if the transformation were shown from the point of view of like a zoomed in of his face mm-hmm. and he like he like puts the wolf thing on like a helmet almost, you know, like the head is flopped over and it doesn't look at all like it's going to be a disguise. And then whatever we do for the music, if it's Luthien singing, what have you. And then just we see the around the eye into like the fur going over like a smoothed out face. So we just stay focused on his eye the whole time. And we just see the fur kind of turn into the face. And that way we're not crunching bones. We're not twisting hands into paws. It avoids the horror. Right. Well, it at least. Oh, can we, can we at least have some meaty sound effects in the background while we're (laughs) focused in on the eye? How is, how is, how is this helping though? Like Like, how much body horror do you want in your, we don't want body horror. Yeah. We don't want, we don't don't want to send the, send the message that something horrible is happening to Baron because it's not, it's a disguise. It's not, he's not painfully being turned into a werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Look what you've done. We've just turned Baron into a furry. 
And it's not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's not my fault, she adds. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway. Let's go back to the body horror. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, could I suggest another thing, though? There is another thing that he could retain, apart from his eyes. Couldn't mm. he retain his voice? Couldn't we yes. have him talk in his own normal voice? Yes. He should talk in his own voice, but we should layer in whatever effect that we put on the um, the, the actor. Voice? The, yeah. Yes, whatever effect goes on his voice can also go over Baron's voice, so that it's Baron's voice coming through a canine, a canine apparatus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With the addition of a... the dog filter. Yeah. Yeah. With the dog, the dog filter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's recognizably the same actor's voice, uh, again, I, that would be because then again we could diffuse any horror. You know, like, and if there if there seems to be a danger, right, of people coming away with the idea that Baron is being like, if it looks like Baron being cursed or uh, tormented in some way, we can under we can kind of correct that through his own words there. Um, yeah. And again, I don't think, I, you know, it, I am not, although I'm, I am pushing for more detail than just having them appear in form and not say anything, I don't, I don't think we need to explain everything. I don't think we need to show um, the transformation itself. I think we can, um, as long, but we do need to, we do need to make sure that we've contextualized it so that they understand Um there's too much, I think, left to doubt. And also, again, let's not forget, we have a precedent for this with Finrod, right? Except it's different. With Finrod, it was primarily a glamour, right? It was right. illusion. Right. This is, this is a step past that. Yeah, it's this really is more turned than into skin a... deep, which is why there should be a la- the, the dog filter in his voice, because he is actually speaking through... Right. He the... does not just look like a dog. He is a dog. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh yeah, yeah. Um I think um uh I think it's I mean it's interesting because really the relationship of this moment with the entire history of like the, the entire film werewolf tradition is really important but really complicated. Right? I mean like this needs to really be differentiated from almost every werewolf transformation and that's going to be like no matter how we do it there's going to be some werewolf transformation or other that we are evoking but this is very much not the, and it's and of course we're talking with the father of werewolves here but it's right? also so, but it's also the er example like it should also appear as if this is where the stories of humans turning well, into werewolves come from is from <sighs> this moment like uh, our mythology uh, should I, kind of derive from that Maybe kind of, sort of, but there's a lot about that that we don't want to be doing here, so we don't want to make it the Ur example. It would have to be really twisted around. It it, it would have to get really twisted around before well, it got around to the waiter werewolf. Well, yeah. it's it's like the in there's so much about the Luthien story that is kind of standing the Rapunzel story on its head, mm-hmm. like over and over and over again. It happens mm-hmm. constantly that. Tolkien is saying, hey, it's Rapunzel, but not, right? right and right. it's this is where, this is the real story about Rapunzel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is the real story about a human turning into a werewolf. 
Not that not that lycanthropy is a thing. Right, right, right. But the I, the whole thing going back to the body horror. I cannot think of an example of a werewolf transformation on screen that isn't portrayed in such a way that it is clearly painful and a difficult ordeal that the person turning into the werewolf is going through. Yes. Like and that is a hundred percent. It's about pain. Yeah. 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 And what we did with Drog Lewin when we created him is we made it painful and involuntary. Yes. So yeah. that was where we got it, but that's not what's happening to Baron. He's right. exactly. apparently that's signing up for this and it's yeah. a disguise. He's not being painfully turned into a wolf. Somehow this doesn't hurt. Although right. if we're if we're zoomed in on his eye, like I feel like he would we should at least see some fear <laughs> pass through him for a moment as the transformation as the transformation is taking place. Like, oh, I'm actually turning like this isn't a disguise. I'm actually turning into a wolf. Like this surprise, is surprise, but yes. I but I still wouldn't go fear. I, I yeah, more, surprise. more wonder than fear. More wonder than fear. This is, because this it's is amazing. Because doing it. He's not, he, yeah. he, 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 he trusts, trusts her. her. Yeah. And, and that's where I, I think we have to be really careful not to make this. And then a werewolf transformation. Because it's not. It's, it's yes. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a, a lack of... Uh, one can trust through fear. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I... I I, I trust that God has things in my life sorted. That doesn't mean that I'm occasionally, ter- <laughs> not occasionally terrified. Yeah, no, yeah. I understand. But no, I, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I hear that, but I'm not sure. Like, under the circumstances, that is what he's afraid of is how would we possibly get even close to Angband um mm. undisguised yeah. and um there's nobody around like there's no there's no possibility of misunderstanding and especially if we do it like you know like i was describing where he sees her transform first and then she untransforms and then says like now it's do you right um he might be on but he's already he's also been through it he's going to be surprised it's different right it's 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 an actual transformation instead of an illusion and he will be expecting you know he'd probably be expecting something like what finrod did um that she's going to do but um so he'd be surprised but again i don't think i i, I don't i don't think he'd be afraid um I, I, st- I still think wonder rather than fear uh, in that moment um, because he is this is a solution it would be a, you know like the solution that he's looking for from the person that he trusts essentially um, so and in an environment where there's no threat you know like there's there's nothing there's nothing else to be afraid of there um, uh it's yeah. still going to be a weird sensation. Weird and surprise, like surprise and yeah. weirdness. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah. But again, I don't even know that we need to. I, I am not convinced that the moment of transformation has to appear on screen at all. Okay. Right. Um, I would think, again, like if 
we have Luthien say, and now let's do you. And she starts singing and she picks up the wolf hame. So, she, you know, she can like whip the, the, the cloak around her shoulders with this like particular motion. Right. Um, and then she duplicates a similar motion with the wolf hame when she like puts it around his shoulders. Right. While That's she's how singing. We hide the cut. Exactly. Yeah. And then we, we, we use that as a cut. And then next we see them. They're, they're like a wolf and a bat. Um, yeah. Like that, like the, 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 the a visual parallel and mm-hmm. her, the, the, the fact that she's singing is enough of a trigger to show she's doing magic. So we know whose magic it is. Um, it's drug Lewin's pelt and he turns into drug Lewin. So again, the mm-hmm. sense, you know, that you guys were, that you were talking about, about uh, there being some kind of power or memory in the pelt of drug Lewin, the father of werewolves, right? All, all that stuff could be there, but then, yeah, but we don't actually have to show the moment of trans or even show his reaction at all. Right. Um, he's a wolf. I mean, it would be nice to give him a line as a wolf in order to show that, like, yep, he is still of his own, like his own mind and, and has his own voice and is 100 percent down with, <laughs> with what's going on here. Right. But um, uh, and that they can still talk back and forth to each other um, just to prevent any doubts or uncertainties for later on, right? Like, it would be important to establish, like, even though they're in the form, they've transformed into a bat and a wolf, they can actually communicate with each other, right? Um, Again, just, that might be a good thing to establish to prevent people pausing and asking questions later on. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, Well, let's, uh, let's actually advance the slide and get on to what you guys were talking about with Baron Luthien's story. So, okay. Let's really go. getting into the relationship drama here. Yeah. I, here I'm getting distracted with the, like, magical, you know, transformation um, and getting away from the real meat of this episode, which is relationship drama. So... I'm, I'm super upset about it. <laughs> what, with the diversion? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, we start with the healing. Um, so it's kind of fun uh, that we begin this episode with a lot of tension, right? Like, you know, we're in, uh, you know, we're in emergency room mode here at the very, you know, in the opening moments of this episode. Um, you know, there's blood all over the place uh, and she's trying to staunch the wound and heal him. Um, she... One of the things that you that you mentioned in the outline, which I thought was really interesting, is that she is puzzled and frustrated by the like basically she she does like elf CPR right on him and he doesn't get better like an elf would. Right. I mean, normally right. with with an elf, you just got to keep them bleeding out on the spot. If you keep them from bleeding out on the spot, they'll pretty much get better. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, look at Beleg most of the time um uh, <laughs> right I mean, well, except for that one time i know every um, time but once say you know there's always an exception well, unfortunately there were no elves around to heal him with elvish medicine and so Fair true 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 but yes um, so the idea being that if you can patch him up he'll heal himself it's perfectly reasonable elf medicine yes um but for humans uh we maybe take a little bit more effort to heal up well think think about the stuff that happens with a puncture wound from an arrow that doesn't matter to elves so what 
tends to happen is that the arrow um, punctures the clothing and then the skin typically drives some of the fibers from the clothing into the body, right? Yeah. Which now, you know, they're covered in bacteria. Like he was just wrestling around on the ground, like, and all that dirt is now inside his body. And so she, like, an elf, you would not have to worry about them going septic. You wouldn't yeah, have to right. worry about an infection. Say. You wouldn't have to yeah. worry about any of those things. Right. And she right. probably never even took the precautions that you would <laughs> need to when dressing a, a wound like this. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm just now imagining like a, like a, a, a comic strip sequence of like an elf doctor and a human doctor, you know, and the human doctor washing his hands before an operation, the elf doctor being like, what a wuss. Why are you wasting your time? Made <laughs> <laughs> of a little blood, are we? <laughs> right. Exactly. Come on, man. What are you, what are you so squeamish about? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I agree. And, and, and it's just, just the, the, um, it's a really interesting way to draw attention to it's easy to get into a mode of just thinking about elves as being just like humans, except they don't die of old age. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're just like humans in every way, except they just keep going on living. Right. And that's, that's not true. That's not true. uh, uh, Psychologically. That's not true. Sociologically. Um, But that's not even true physically, of course. Um, and so reminding this reminder, like, yeah, hey, he and I are totally different species, right? And like our everything mm-hmm. about us works differently. Um, uh, I think it's and a she really, isn't is really one cool. of the Noldor who have been exposed to this before. Like they have she's lived in Dorothy. They're completely sheltered from, from the human thing. This understand like if this yeah. was if she was if she grew up in Nargothrond, this would not be an issue. She would right. already know by now. Yeah. Yeah. What what the deal is. Right, but he's the first human she ever met. Right. And certainly exactly. the first one she's ever cared Even for. In medical just, treatment yeah. too as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um so anyway, I, I, I think that that's a really um but it's it's a really fun way to kind of use that initial kind of tense and exciting I'm trying, you know, she's trying to save his life um, uh, thing and there's some, you know fun visual parallels that we can make of her, you know, her kneeling above him, um, this time trying, you know, administering first aid just as she was kneeling above him when he was lying there in the um, in the oubliette, right um, you know, when, anyway you know, so she she's rescuing him again right, you know, so, so we, we, we draw the parallels of her rescuing him again um, but even as the rescuing is happening, that itself raises questions for her. I, I just I, I, I really like how that works. I really like how that how, that kind of very naturally springboards our first like relationship drama moment where she is confronted with this fact, which I think is important to note that that's not happened for her before. I mean, she's known that he was human. Right. But it's been a kind of an abstract sort of knowledge she's here really conf- it's one thing to be told oh yeah like he's mortal and he's gonna go grow old and die that's that's a, a very theoretical Luthien concern problem. yeah yeah exactly now she's in the moment confronted with the fact that he's not only um not only mortal in the sense that he's going to get old someday in the not very distant future from her point of view 
but he's like all fragile and stuff. I mean, it's he's just fundamentally different in that way. Another thing that I I really like about this is it's not an instant success for her. Mm-hmm. Like everything yeah. up until this point seems to come pretty easy to her. Even the, the defeat of Sauron was not that right. Hard. Comparatively, yeah. yeah. Comparatively, yeah. Um, to see her expending effort and being frustrated and to at least at the beginning failing at something. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really the first time that's ever happened to her in yeah. the entire series up until this point yeah like she has gone from strength to strength this whole time yes yes and then of course we have huan being you know wonderful and useful again of course in bringing the athalas and um helping with that um i i'm I'm assuming that that's what it is that he brings right well isn't it always (laughs) right well right so it probably is um, there was a discussion of where Athelas originally comes from mm-hmm. and I know that the stuff that's in Middle-earth in the Third Age was via Numenor which presumably is from Tolarasaya so was it in Beleriand and if so who had it and in what areas kind of thing this is, this is, I, how many times does Tolkien get himself into this question right Happens with mm-hmm. Athalas, it happens with Malorns, it ha- you know, it's all over the right. place. Right, and he gave quite an extensive answer on the Malorn question. So, yeah. I and, and does Athalas work if you are not a king of men? Well, like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, that's just a yeah. who knows about it situation. Yeah. Um, also, I, I think it's I think I think that that's an area that's like a a, a geo locked effect in Minas Tirith. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, not not Point Roland. Is, if we want it to be Athalas, it's Athalas. If we want it, if we want it to be some other useful herb that exists in the world, it could be that too. Um, How many useful herbs do you need, really, for storytelling purposes? Right, Athalas. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Probably, probably that. I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna, unless we make a big deal about the fact that it isn't, it's going to be in the minds of our viewers, right? Yeah. I mean, the question is whether we want to jump up and down about that or not, and I can't see yeah. any use if, doing if it. If it, if it, if it happens to be a plant with little white flowers on it, like it would have to look very different from Athalas <laughs> in the film in order to, and and any description of it in the book in order yeah. for people even to question that, yeah. Um, uh, but presumably we're not going to have Juan grab it out of a pig trough or something like that. <laughs> presumably. <laughs> presumably. Um, how does she use it? <laughs> now, I'm not thinking twice about the pig trough. How does she use it? Yeah, so um, obviously the way Aragorn uses it is he um, bruises it, right? And um, if you toss it in boiling water, the scent is in the steam. So if what we were saying Baron needs that Luthien didn't initially provide, it is um, anti-infection properties, right? So presumably what we need to do is either make a poultice out of it or um, bathe the wound in hot water that has been steeped in athalas. And that will somehow 
help clear up his infection issues. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So she could have made a fire or something by mm-hmm. the time Huan comes back. Yeah, so hot water could be involved. If yeah. We, yeah. At this point, she probably also has to lance the wound. I imagine if it already if the wound is already started closing over an infection. Oh man, there's yeah. there's nothing that makes uh, better theater than uh, lancing purulent wounds on yes. screen. Uh, so there's nobody who doesn't yeah. like that. I'm not allowed to have any body horror in this in this show. <laughs> well, I'll just I'll tell just, you where I most recently saw that on screen, Nick, and the answer is The Last of Us. Oh yeah. So. Do you think do you think Luthien's uh, battlefield medicine would be better than uh, Ellie's? I would assume that yes. they both they both have exactly the same level like amount of experience with it, which is with zero. Humans. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, Luthien has seen people come back from battle before. Well, and Luthien true. has yeah. even been more or less involved in a fight before, except it was against giant spiders. So. Yeah, but that has... that was easy because she knows how to sew. So, like with elves, it's simple. You just correct. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. Her battlefield experience or her battlefield medicine experience is with elven uh, patients, and that's that's the the part that she's missing here is the human side. But it's yeah, she's not someone who's never seen this before or never stitched up a wound before, whereas Ellie didn't know what she was doing. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, I um, I would vote uh, for a minimum amount of pus to appear on screen. That's I that think that would fair. be my vote. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think that yeah. having Luthien inform Huan that the wound is not healing as quickly as she would like is enough to convey to the viewer that something is wrong here or something's going yes. differently mm. we don't need to show a terribly infected wound or the beginnings right. of blood poisoning or anything like that and all we need is for her dialogue to Juan to kind of mimic the dialogue in the discussion um, between Finrod and his uh, his veterinarian back in the the gift of men episode when they were trying to figure out why or or no no because first he talks with a regular elf healer right yeah like to figure out why um they isn't coming isn't coming back <laughs> isn't bouncing back from a a, a yeah. fractured hip or something like that right right as, as quickly as they would have expected <clears throat> um so just to have an element of that discussion come back um will help signify to the viewer that that is that's the issue right that she doesn't know how human anatomy works yeah. in that way not anatomy but how our um physiology yeah there's a word for like wound response and healing but i can't remember what it is <clears throat> I don't know which one you're looking for, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I'm loving this theory, by the way, that like the problem is that his wound is going septic and she doesn't know how to deal with that. Um, that's a really fun, um, just, again, we don't, we don't, we could even show him experiencing some of the, again, I agree. I, I again, I, I don't want pus on screen, but, um, but like, you've just like him being feverish, uh, 
would be enough to convey. Right. Um, and most human viewers <laughs> would say, oh, he must have an infection if he has a fever, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But she's like, I don't know. Like, what's wrong with him? Why is he getting all... Because, I mean, do elves get fevers? I don't think they get fevers. Like, is that no. even a thing that they would no. understand? No, because they imagine. don't... I can imagine. Like, that kind of... It like, specifically calls out that they don't suffer from illnesses. They don't have immune systems. In the scene. Not yeah, in that yeah. way. They're, or Not their immune way. systems are so Are so robust. powerful that they don't even have to, uh, you know, stoop to such crude measures as fevers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can poison an elf so there are you can poison them yes right so well but if you it like if you had a anything that can poison you can poison your blood but it would have to happen very quickly it's Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. we're not talking about like they're immune to bacteria sure right like like bacteria and viruses which are things that cause infections right of this kind don't impact them their cells are impervious yeah. Sure. Yeah. Love it. Magical cell walls. Love it. No Membranes. cell walls. Membranes. Sorry. Membranes. <laughs> that's right. They're, they're, that's right. They're not plants. They're animals. Uh. <laughs> my apologies. Science I, teacher on the I do teach stream. high school science as my day job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I used the word poisonous to describe a snake earlier in my coworker. Oh. I was like, no, there no snakes are poisonous. Let's get, I, I know. I know. And let's see, let me if you eat them, maybe. They're all venomous. Say, if you just swallow it whole, I bet it would be <laughs> um. Yes, I know. Venomous, venomous, I get it. Yes. yes I know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'll good. go back to, I'll go back to being pedantic about Tolkien stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let, us, let, us, let us shift back the grounds of our pedantry here. Okay. Um, uh, so anyway, all right. So having recovered from his septic wound, thanks to uh, Athelos, uh, presumably, um, and the intervention of Huon. Now, tell me about the f- let's 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 get more into the first stage of their discussion after this. So he regains consciousness, right? He regains consciousness and. She is, um, uh, is his first, like, what's his move when he wakes up? Like, does he immediately, is his first move, I'm going to take you home to your dad and then I'm going to take off? No. No, he recognizes that he just came out of a bad illness. So his instant stuff is just like I'm okay don't worry about it because he can see how upset she was so his first move is just to reassure her that he's okay and he's getting better but once he's better enough Mm -hmm. once he's getting around again then he's like okay cool I'm better time for me to continue my quest so there's there's a interim between him being passed out and him trying to move on where he he knows he's convalescing right although in the first scene he does express because she is like you know she starts talking about like what we're going to do like it doesn't like it doesn't you know we're together that's all that matters like we could live there or there or in a cave or it doesn't matter you know and he's like what do we how how, like you are the princess 
of Doriath. Right. How could we possibly have a life together without your father's blessing? They're going to, somebody's going to eventually find us, which is true. If, and if it's not, you know, as we say in the outline, if it's not Thingol, then it's going to be Morgoth. Like, there is no way they're going to get away with this. Yeah. And he's not wrong. Like, she's, she's really, she's not taking their situation as seriously as he is, like, their external situation. Mm -hmm. And as such, she's not, like, because he's very, he's, he's, again, he's mission focused, right? Yeah. So he's, thought this through right he probably thought this through before leaving Doriath the first time Mm -hmm. you know he probably already realized this Uh, and he certainly realizes it now after she's told him what happened with in Nargothrond so this is kind of jumping ahead but it seems relevant even from the start um, I feel like the biggest challenge is making Baron depicting his unwillingness to take Luthien with him without making him sound like an idiot or a chauvinist. Right. Right, for sure. Like, one of those two things is the most obvious explanation. I mean, if he's like, well, little lady, I wouldn't want you to put yourself in danger now. I better send you home to daddy, right? While I go off and endanger my masculine self. Like, we don't want that to come across that way. Um, uh, but if it's But if it's not that... If it's not that, then what? Like, well, right. you've just single-handedly overcome everything that, like, threatened anybody. Um, but, like, obviously you're not going to be any use uh, moving forward. So I think I'm going to leave you behind because I'm a moron, right? Like, so, like, we don't want to, we, we have to avoid both of those things, right? Right. So, so what, how? how? How do we avoid both of those things? Right. He has to have a motivation that is not related to the quest. Yes. And... Basically, we've shown Luthien realizing, oh, snap, he's mortal and yeah. can just, like, fall apart and die. Yeah. I, this, what do I do about this? <laughs> yes, he's super um, fragile. Yeah. Right. He's figured out the same thing, kind of, which is long term, all he's going to do is make her miserable. And Luthien is definitely better off without him. Like, look, she just came all the way out here and knocked a tower down and took on Sauron. For his sake. And so he's already asked enough of her. She'll be better off back in Doriath. She can forget about him, move on with her life, and be happy there. And So is he kind of a little bit committing suicide then? Well, I don't know how he thinks he's going to actually achieve this quest. Right, on his own. Yeah. Right. Okay. Finrod didn't even make it halfway there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So, to be fair to him, um, there is also the sense that he, as you say, she's kind of better off without him. And if 
they're going to be together, it's going to be because he earned it. And the only way that that happens is if he fulfills the condition that needs to be met for them to be together without all the problems that he mentioned earlier, right? <clears throat> all the stuff that he was talking about earlier that should theoretically go away if he mm -hmm. did somehow miraculously show up with a Cimarron, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> but he is aware of the fact. So if he fails, <clears throat> which seems likely, then he didn't deserve her anyway. Yeah, so in the Oubliettes, when he and Finrod were having Athrobeth Redux, right? They were talking about fate then, as I yes. recall. Mm -hmm. That was a big issue, right? Mm -hmm. This seems to me like the best prospect, uh, just following Nick exactly what you were saying. If he basically says to himself, like, okay, so it is either my fate to get the Silmaril or not. If it is my fate to get the Silmaril, then I shall get the Silmaril, howsoever unlikely it looks. If yes. it is not my fate to, not, to get the Silmaril, then obviously I shouldn't be with Luthien. So she's better off without me. So I'm going to leave her behind. And I'm going to go, not because I think I'm. It's it increases my odds of success to leave her no. behind. Because it obviously does not. But again, she's better off without me. And, I, and, and like, the, you know, but I'm going to just get. So he goes forward fatalistically. Basically, a little bit, a little bit, that, or that it both that could, fatalistically that, that could and in faith, weirdly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's fatalistic like, is accepting fate for what it is, not exactly. necessarily having a death wish. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But yeah. he. But he also. There, he there believes, could be a kind of Estelle to it. Yeah. Yeah. He he believes that if this is part of the plan, if this is part of the plan for the world. Uh huh. Then it'll happen, and Luthien not coming with him is not going to damage his ability. Is not going to stop fate from happening, right? Uh, but right. it would stop her from getting captured and put in 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 enslaved by Morgoth. In fact, yeah. In fact, I had a really fun idea just now. It could be an actual parallel to like Elrond at the end of the Council of 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 Elrond, right? Um, like small hands do them because they must, mm. right? That like um, it is not through strength that like it doesn't like, yes, Luthien might be able to help at Angband, but that's that's not the point, right? The point is, uh, you know, we um, it is not by strength that we're going to that, you know, that that this quest, if this quest is going to be achieved, it's going to be achieved in some by in some way that I don't understand um, and not by, uh, you know, and, and not by trying to load the deck in my favor as much as possible, right? Not mm. trying to, you know, I'm going to go ahead despite the fact that it looks impossible. Like, because it looks impossible. Not just despite the fact that it looks impossible, but, like, because it seems almost impossible to succeed. I mean, that's kind of where the Company of the Ring is at the end of the Council of Elrond. Like, and, we're going... And Finrod believed in me. Yeah. yeah. Finrod believed that my survival was important to the providential plan for the universe. Yes. And the, the turning point, like the, what he needs to be convinced of yet, which he has not yet been convinced of is, and what Luthien is finally going to convince him of is this is her fate too. 
right. her fate also is wound into this. He thinks it's like this is my fate, right? This is my fate. So don't you, you know, come because I, I, I you know, I, I, I might be unworthy. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 not worth it, Rick. This is not your. And she's basically saying, no, no, you don't understand. This is my fate, too. Right. This is my fate just as much as it's your fate. Um, and you can't yeah. prevent me uh, doing this. Uh, be, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't just mean because I'm stronger than you, which is totally true. Um, but saying like you can, like it is like you would be fighting you know, like this fate that you were trying to submit to. You would be fighting against that. You are fighting against that fate by trying to keep me from it. Um, mm. That's the thing that he needs to accept, that it is really genuinely her fate that she has bound her fate to him. Uh, I am fated and- to one day be a chubby old woman. <laughs> um. No. Was that, was that, no, no, okay. Um, the, the fun part of working through all this was to consider what the other possibilities would have been Mm -hmm. that they could be discussing because we know that they're not going to see Thingol again until after they've been to Angband. Yeah. But they haven't done that yet. So they don't know that. So right. the conversation of what is Thingol's role in all of this is something they're not necessarily both on the same opinion on. Right. So Baron is very much of the opinion of Thingol gave me a quest. I accepted the quest. I'm going to go do the quest. That's how this works. Right. You right. don't go back on your word. Um, and then with all this fate stuff layered on top of that, Luthien is more of, he's my dad. I can just talk to him. <laughs> like, we can sort this out. <laughs> so Luthien is still of the opinion that the quest can get, like, dropped or changed or mitigated in some way. Mm. Okay. Like, she doesn't consider so the quest So that's what she immutable. needs to learn from this. Right. Well, right. she just needs to learn that Baron's doing this, so if she wants to do things yeah. together, it has to be the quest. It has to be this, right. yeah. She's she's trying to kind of say like how can we be together but not the quest, and and that's where they're they're talking past each other a little okay. bit. Yeah, and I like that. Luthien is a little more willing to talk about things. Once Baron figures out that they're not on the same page, he kind of clams up and doesn't really tell her what he's thinking, mm-hmm. which is maybe not super helpful for resolving relationship right. drama. Right. Right just makes it more dramatic i guess um so that's that's how they end up agreeing to something that makes neither of them happy but really they didn't agree really luthien was like well i want to do this no not that okay how about this how about this let's do this and finally baron says sure yeah let's do that and she's like great we're on the same page. We talked it over and we agreed and we're going to go off together and do the thing together. And really he was just like, you just agreed to walk back towards Doriath. That's where I want you. I'm agreeing to this <laughs> without mm-hmm. actually agreeing to her plan. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so basically the situation, why they're talking at cross purposes is that each one of them has like half of the vision, right? The vision that he has, that he sees clearly that she does not is that the quest of the Silmaril is his fate, 
Like, it's not, this is, I mean, yeah, like, she might look at it as, like, yeah, Dad asked you to do that thing, and that was pretty bad. Like, that was pretty unreasonable. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, he's my dad. Maybe, you know, he'll, he'll change his mind or what, you know, whatever. She, she sees that as potentially malleable, right? Um, whereas he's like, no, it is very clear to me, the quest of the Silmarillion, like, this is, this is my fate. This is the thing that I am bound to do no matter what. Um, and, and it is because so yeah. much hinges on it. Yeah. Like the rest of the events of the Cimmerillion happen because yeah. they go yeah. ahead and finish this. He, he, uh, yeah. So he, he sees that that is his fate and she doesn't, he, she thinks that it's possible to put it on the shelf. Right. Um, the part that she sees that he does not is that their fates are tied together. So he's thinking, I, yeah, I'm bound to go see the Silmarillion, but you don't have to come. You, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, and if, if you don't have to come, it would be better if you didn't, right? Because then you would be safer and there's, there, you know, and, and because I, because he doesn't, he doesn't, it, not, it doesn't exactly feel confident just because he's stepping forward in this kind of uh, fatalistic brand of Estelle that he's stepping out with doesn't mean that he thinks himself likely to succeed, right? I mean, he still thinks he's probably, you know, very likely going to die, Um but right, whatever yeah. reason the universe has for wanting him to do this, he's not clear on the outcome, and he's not. It, he's not. Just because he has to do it doesn't mean he's gonna live through it, right? And he and doesn't, again. in fact. So, <laughs> you know. Right, he's not wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, those two pieces, and of course, like the goal. What I really like about this construction is that neither one of them is completely wrong, right? Both of them have a piece of the of the picture, and the resolution is merely each of them perceiving and embracing what the other one sees, right? Because both are true. Yes, Baron has to go to the quest of the Silmarillion. He is bound to the quest of the Silmarillion. There is no way out of that, like Luthien thinks. But yes, the two of them are bound together, as Luthien thinks, and he does not yet see. So once and so once they have that, they're good. Now we're on pace for the whole rest of the season, right? Um, and I like the ways. Again, going back to going back to the septic infection, I like the ways in which her own questioning of like her own confrontation with the distance between them, right? Sort of challenges. So th- th- there are two ways. Baron's wound at the beginning of the episode is relevant to both of their questions, right? Yeah. It challenges her being like, yes, we are bound together. And she's like, whoa, I'm bound to what? This like weird, fragile. What if Kurafin and Sauron were right? Yeah, exactly. She's, she, I mean, she's got to ask that question, right? Which is an unsettling question to ask on any day of the week, right? Um, but, but, but then on the yeah, other hand, if, if Kurafin and Sauron tell you to do something, you probably should not do the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, normally, yeah, you'd think that's a pretty—it's kind of a no-brainer. But, um, uh, but anyway, then, but, but on the other side, Baron also has to be thinking like, well, okay, I barely survived that encounter. Right. And I'm meant to go single handedly invade Angband. Like, this is pointless. <laughs> right. So, I mean, his wound is relevant. Um, like, it sets up, it, it, it sows doubts 
to both of them, to like both of their, tries both of their convictions. His conviction that like, well, yes, this is my job. Um, as ridiculously inappropriate as it seems, as ridiculously above my pay grade as it would appear to be, nevertheless, this is my job to push forward and do this no matter what. And her, on the other hand, like no matter how distant we are, you know, no matter how um, much of a stretch it is, um, no matter how how wide the the chasm between him and me, nevertheless, our fates are bound together. Um, so. I, yeah, I, I, it just it it works the wound in I think really elegantly on both sides. I really like that. Um. Okay. Speaking of working things in, should we go to working in Dairon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. unless we want to, um, like, I think that we resolved everything that me too need to be resolved there. I love answering every question and solving every problem. Let's move on. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. So, um, here's the storyline we invented. Okay. Yeah. Here's I the love it. We invented. I, I, this is one of my favorite things from this season, by the way. <laughs> I love it. But let me, let me work. So my, my only difficulties with it, I, I, there, there's, there's mostly, I love this. I had some questions about the framework of it. Um, like who's going where and how exactly does that work? So um, where's Beleg going? So we start out the storyline at Tulsirian. Yeah. So Beleg and his group had come to Tongarhoth and found what was left, allowing them to pick up some items that were left behind and yeah. <laughs> take care of some little plot points, but also realizing that Luthien was here and they need to go find her now. Right. Okay. So problem number one that needs to be overcome somehow. So I like the fact that we're separating Dairon from Beleg. Mm-hmm. Um, Beleg is an inconvenience because he is the greatest hunter and tracker of all time. Right. right? So you so, can't have him starting out going in the actually correct direction. Or else he's not going to lose their trail. Like, how do we right. contrive to have Beleg not find them? Is my right. main question. Good, good question. Because um, I think <laughs> we sent we sent Mablung north, right? And Belleg's the one we sent back yeah, to Doriath Ma- eventually. Mablung goes to Hithlum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and Belleg is reporting back to Doriath. I thought. Okay, so yes. And he's so he is sending either that or he's taking. So Mablung has a has a relationship with um, with is is more of the like front facing diplomacy guy with Kelo, with Kelleborngon, right? So that's why he's going to meet with the people of Hithlum because maybe maybe Baron and Luthien went there. And that's going to be a sticky situation. So let's handle that with some TLC. Totally agree that Mablung is like the representative of the king. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Beleg, I think, is taking command of the garrison. I think is what's happening here and searching the immediate area. Whereas they're basically sending Dairon home by way of Brethil 
sure maybe maybe she went home because they're kind of patronizing him a little bit he's he's they brought him along to humor him i mean nobody i mean dyron is respected on his own ground right but this is not this is not 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 his own ground yeah yeah yeah. this is right um if there were you know a song to be written about this he'd be the first one they'd go to but when it's time for action um he's out of his depth right so having him and he's like you think that she went home that doesn't sound right right, but okay like the idea the basic idea that dairon goes in the right direction and bele goes in the wrong direction i don't i i love that general concept right um and that his superior knowledge of Luthien and assessment of her actions leads him right where the others make false assumptions which therefore lead them wrong. We just have to show how his Beleg's false assumptions lead him in the completely wrong direction. The problem is like once we get him to Talsirian I mean their trail is there like he'd pick up their trail how how does he not pick up their trail? How does Beleg of all people not pick up their trail? Um that's that there, was, yeah. There's been some time, and but I mean, Bella. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, and, well, and the, the the problem is not just like the fact that Belleg fans will be disappointed, but of course, like this is still before the Turin season, right? And when we get to Belleg in the Turin season, we are going to have a very clear. No circumstances are too desperate for Beleg. Like, right. Yeah. So yeah. you can't. We don't have undermine him be like, in advance. Yeah, like, mm, yeah. It's been a few weeks. The tracks are a little old. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Can't tell. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So there was a battle. There were orcs, but I mean, you need some clue to pick up where Baron Luthien ran off. And they did encounter Kelligorm and Curfin at one point, and the group with Dairon is going to find that site. Right. So that's why I was saying that Beleg is in, is taking command of of the garrison. So he's not personally out in the field. Okay, he's not there. He's not not out there at all. Right, like he is supervising the search effort. Right, like he's got his map with the search grid. Right, and he's like making all the smart choices. Like, okay, we need to send people here, 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 here. Right, right. It happens to be Dyron's group that. Actually, because sure. I, I don't think that Bellig thought that she was just going to go home either. Right. That's exactly. Yeah. But of course, even this requires explanation. Like, um, yes, King Thingol, I am personally the greatest hunter and tracker, but I'm not going to look for her myself. Right. Um, that's even that takes some explanation. Right. Why on earth wouldn't he? Um, well, with Mablon gone. He is the ranking person to be well, taking command. Well, the other solution is we can send Beleg up north and let Mablung have the garrison. And that requires a little less explanation because if Beleg is literally not there and no, no ground that Beleg covers is part of ground that Baron and Luthien covered, we don't have to worry about him missing a sign of which way they went. Right. Now, Mablung being the administrator of the search, that's fine. That's fine. Because not being in the field would be hard to swallow, I think. 
I mean, we need to get them both back to Doriath at some point, but I think we can swap their places here, and I don't think it'll do any harm. Hmm. Yeah, especially Bel- if Belic has a relationship with humans, also with the mm-hmm. Haladine specifically. Mm-hmm. So they might decide that he is the one to handle that negotiation in Hithlam. Yeah. And who who was the one who brought the army to Nargothrond? That was Mabung, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Belleg was there too. Yes. Belleg was there too. No, no. We have Belleg and Dairon joining Mabung oh, at okay. Tolsirian. Okay. 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 So, it's so if Mabung was yeah. the one who took the army south, then, then he can have the garrison at Tolsirian. It would make the more sense. Then. Okay. The other thing is, like, if we could have sent Belleg north prior to to this whole moment so that he's not even available. I mean, I mean again, there's it's always like... the opportunity to go talk to Kierden on the coast. <laughs> you know, you can always go do that at any point in time in a story. If we need a character yeah. to not be somewhere, they can go visit Kierden. to Kierden. Yeah. Yeah. Kierden is like a holding uh, cell uh, uh, for but, but having Sindar. Having Mablung send um, send Beleg to Hithlam makes a certain amount of sense because again, that's a delicate situation. Like if they're hiding them, we need to be able to figure that out without aggravating anybody. Mm-hmm. Right, because their goal is not to start a war here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they they've already kind of towed that line as it was right. at Nargothrond. Yeah, at Nargothrond. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. So yeah, as as long as it's, I I just want to make sure we we, we have to be careful I, not to I, I undermine Beleg's ability. Yeah. Right. We want to preserve it. Um, yeah. yeah. And the the story here requires that Dairon have an insight that no one else have. Yep. So let's just get Beleg off the board so that it's not an issue. Yeah. Yeah. That would be the easiest the easiest solution I think by far. Um. So, without Beleg, then. Dairon's group there I was having a hard time following their motions uh hmm. like their their movements so, so they they, they yeah. started Tolsirian they started Tolsirian they're, they're heading back towards Doria so right. again there's that road north of the forest of Brethel that yeah. crosses at Brithiac they're kind of meandering along that direction okay right the ambush in which they all get destroyed is going to happen near Brithiac. So Dairon's team is going to get ambushed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Without him. He's already so he's right. separated. Him. Yes. I'm so, trying to find the place where that happens. All right. Around the dry river. So yeah. uh, Dairon yeah. sets out from Tolsirian and they're like, okay, yeah, we're headed back to Doriath. We're looking for tra- tracks for Luthien. He dis- he decides himself that Luthien is definitely headed towards Angband, not Doriath. Yeah, I don't care what this trail says, because they do kind of pick up evidence that they are on the trail of Baron and Luthien, and they in fact are. Right. Um, but he's like, I, I don't care what the evidence tells me. This isn't, this isn't the where Luthien I know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. right. And before she even knows that that's where she's going, he knows that that's he knows. where she's yeah, going. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no one in the group agrees with him. So rather than trying to convince the group, which was his initial plan, he's like, well, fine. I'll go find her. Because Dyer's not in charge of this group. 
I mean, nobody right. would put Dyron in charge of a team in the field. Right. He's just with them, and they don't listen to him or agree with him, so he does his own thing. Right. And fortuitously for him, because the whole group's not going to make it, <laughs> we maybe accidentally killed off this search party. Right. Um, yeah. For reasons. But the the general idea there is, yes, yeah, so around the Dry River... Dairon is going to break off and head north. And he has to try to figure out which way Luthien would have gone to get to Angband. And right. he re- thinks that, okay, if the trail was headed this direction from Tulsirian, well, she's not taken the Fens of Sarek route. Maybe she's going to go through the Pass of Anak and into Dorthonian and across. I mean, right. you know, Baron's from Dorthonian. Maybe he knows a good way through there. And Sure. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're up to, whatever. So his thought is that's the only way this makes any sense, is they were going to Angband via this other route. And so he's going to follow that path and pick up their trail. So he's going to the Pass of Anak. And this, of course, is what um, has him under the Krasigrim the whole time um, and in Eagle Country. Yes. Yeah. Basically, we need Dairon to go hang out with some eagles, and we had to come up with a plot line that put him there. So hopefully I, it doesn't seem too contrived, but that's no, I like it. That's what I, we're doing. I, th- I, th- I think that I think that works. Um, and the the parallel that gets established increasingly between Baron and Dairon was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, of course that. Um, that parallel really comes to crisis, right? When um, uh, w- with the song, right? When they're both singing at the same time, mm-hmm. right? The idea of Dairon piping and having that pipe music overlay and accompany Baron's song, I think is really fun um that is i I, you know that 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 kind of um that kind of play between diegetic and adiegetic music um Mm -hmm. in that moment is so interesting and i just not to mention the fact that it's a really wonderful kind of resolution to the baron dairon tension from earlier on right um Dairon providing, even if unbeknownst to himself, right? The musical accompaniment for Baron's song is very cool. Because the fate of the world is driving this entire story. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. That was possibly my favorite moment in the entire, uh, in the entire uh, outline, actually. Um, and that it's the music of Dairon, which calls the eagle. So the eagle comes while he's playing? Am I re- remembering that correctly? It, it attracts the eagle, yes. It attracts the eagle, yeah. yeah. So again, which makes us, should obviously make us remember uh, Fingen res- rescuing sure. Mithros, right? And the eagle coming in response, you know, like after the music. Um, yeah. Eagles just like songs, all right? <laughs> that's right. This is what you do. This is what you do, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Tell me more about how the eagle scene is going to play out. So he's pl- piping. 
Um, is it Throndor or is it somebody else? Is it is it like generic eagle or is it, it Throndor? Can, it can be Throndor if we want it to be. It doesn't have to be though. I feel like Thorandor is himself personally stationed around Thangorodrim itself. Yeah. Um, so the the main idea here is that we we have the earlier scene with the music, and it's only the, in the second scene that the eagle's going to show up. Um, so after he's met the dog, so he yes. he collects the dog as well. Baron's I was dog. working up to the dog. Love the dog. Yeah, I've been I waiting for the dog to come back, and I did not we... expect it to be Dairon. That was that was fun. Right. So we did promise a better fate for this dog than for the previously appearing dogs in Siltum. And uh, this is the happy fate: is that Baron's abandoned puppy, who was a dog, not a puppy, but is right. now found by Dairon in the wilderness and adopted by him. So he adopts. A stray dog who's in need of a home. Yeah, and... well, which is so. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, again with the connection between Baron and Dairon's fates. Loved again the the parallelism with them. Loved mm. that as a the parallel between you know Huon and the you know both of them are, are met with random friendly helpful canines in the wilderness, right? Mm. Yeah. Right. Right, so we're kind of trying to get as many different angles to these parallels as possible. Yeah. Um, but the idea is the eagle only shows up after all that. So Dairon's been singing for a while. He's met a little dog friend. And then the eagle comes. So Dairon is telling a story, and he's telling this story and the eagle is interested in the story. Like that's what we want to get out of it is that the eagle is real keen to hear more about Luthien. Right. Right. From Dairon's voice, from Dairon's point of view. Um, but we didn't want to make it so explicit as to have Dairon say, Hey Eagle, this is an awesome person that you should definitely that's go right. help when she needs it. Yeah. You uh, you definitely want to be keeping an eye out, um, but right. but at the same time he is soliciting help from any angle. So if there's eagles around, he's going to tell the eagles how mm -hmm. awesome Luthien is, so that they can help her. Like so, it is his explicit goal. We just didn't want to have him like ask because mm -hmm. I don't think you ask the eagles for these kinds of things. Right. Well, just I mean, Gandalf can... does occasionally, but... Yeah, but that's Gandalf. Right. Um, I don't think Dairon goes around asking eagles for favors. No, he's too smart for that. So, so that's the thing. He's just sharing Luthien's story in the hopes that it will be a persuasive argument. <laughs> mm -hmm. Evan wants us to make sure, wants to make sure that we know that he, uh, he definitely had it in for this dog. Um, he objected to the survival of said dog and hates all dogs, I think, is what he's trying to tell us. Right. Is that he's a, he's a big anti-dog person. That's the impression that I'm getting, yeah. So, internet, yeah. Um, definitely <laughs> act accordingly. You're yeah. so terrible. Um, <laughs> the general idea of this being a catastrophic season required a catastrophic fate for this random dog 
mm-hmm. in a way that most Silmarillion stories do not. Most Silmarillion stories require that anyone who is like an innocent bystander meets a horrible fate if they're mentioned by name. <laughs> like, this is a story about escape, right? Right, yeah. but this one's different. And, and yes. to make the whole season stand out, we needed random characters to have that kind of eucatastrophic ending. This so is a season in which even the dogs dog survive. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are definitely killing who on the season. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Like, so that's why this one has to have a different fate. Yes. But anyway. Right. He will probably be dead by the end of last uh, next season, if only because of the passage of time. Right. I mean, dogs only live so long unless they're Huan. But, yeah. So, um, do we do we have a trajectory? Do we have a plan? For, like, is, like, Dairon and his dog going to be, like, a whole spinoff series or what? Like, uh... So, obviously, Tolkien just leaves Dairon in the wilderness forever after this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've asked to not do that maybe yeah yeah um but we at least want to give a nod to that ending so this is pretty much the last we'll see of diaron this season is diaron in the wilderness with his dog like he might appear on screen once more after this but it's diaron in the wilderness with the dog on his own and that's it so we're not going to see diaron rejoin elves or go back to Doriath he's not going to be like in the crowd at Luthien's wedding or something because that would completely subtract out the story Tolkien was telling with Dairon's lost in the wilderness like we have to have him lost in the wilderness for a time um so I think the goal is to bring him be lost in the wilderness and never reemerge in the story of Beleriand he could and then that would be the story Tolkien told. <laughs> right. Like, what um, if we send him over the mountains? And, and Although I do really like the idea of him rescuing um, the the children that escape from uh, Menegroth after the kinslaying. Uh, the one that Kelligram's servants leave in the woods to starve? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, 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 like the, it's like the island of, of unwanted toys. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're going to collect together all the characters that we don't know what happened to them, and they're all going to go, gonna go off. And they're going to go hang out with the yeah, no, what I mean With is the like wives, exactly. Yeah, everybody. The, the heirs yeah. of of Baron Pickle. and Luthien, their their descendants. Um <laughs> that the idea that he's still watching out for them. Love it. Love is, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Think, everybody whose yeah. fate is in is unknown and in question, Dairon shows up <laughs> and takes them away to the commune of like unknown character endings. Love it. Um, Love it. It's right, awesome. so Maglor will show up there, and then they'll go see the Entwives. No problem. Yeah, exactly. But no, the general, is... the general yeah. idea was that we're gonna have a story with Dior at some point. Okay. So Dior's gonna start in Tolgallen and eventually have to come to Doriath. Don't know what we're doing with that yet, but we're gonna do something, and we may want to bring Dairon back at that point either as a mentor figure for Dior or somehow be involved in bringing Dior into Doriath after the death of Thingol or, you know, Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if we put Dairon back in Doriath at some point, 
we have a named character to kill off in Doriath for the two sacks of Doriath, where we're going to just have to kill everybody who lives there at some point, including right. small children. But right. um, well, I'm I'm thinking of like him rescuing Elwing, for example, like Elwing showing can get up, rescued. like yeah. And, and I would say to have him show up specifically to do that rather than just be there. Yes. Yeah. So we can tell a story. The point is, we will have stories to tell with both Doriath and with. Dior specifically as a character and Nimloth as a character. So if Dairon ties back into that story somehow, that's where that's where he would reappear. He would reemerge in that time frame. Yeah. Um yeah. if desired. If we get to that and no one has any interest or use of Dairon, we can leave him out in the woods forever, just like Tolkien did. Yeah, and 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 I agree there is gonna come a time when we're gonna need named characters to kill off. Um in... And Dairon doing something for Luthien's descendants would fit his storyline. So that's true. That that's the main reason to think yeah. of him in connection yeah, yeah. with Dior okay. and with Elwing and, and such. Okay. So So we we'll see. He he's available for later though. That's how we're leaving him okay. this season. It's All available right. at a later time. Um Love it. based on based on what we want to do. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Now this is uh this is this is excellent. Okay. Very good. Um other things. So there will be the obvious plot link with the Eagles, right? Like we're tipping off the Eagles to the fact that Luthien is probably headed towards Angband. So they may or may not be on the lookout for her around there. So it will be that will have the effect of making the rescue of Baron and Luthien by Eagle at the gates of Angband seem less wholly. Um, I mean, it won't be any less you catastrophic, but it will. I mean, like just because we know that Aragorn is heading South, uh, you know, with the army of the dead does not make his arrival at Pelennor field in the nick of time, any less you catastrophic, right? Just so correct. The fact that the Eagles have been tipped off doesn't make their arrival less you catastrophic when they come, but um, but it but does less make out of it nowhere for the audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that was the idea: is that with a TV audience, if you haven't shown them something all season, and then it shows up to save the day, it feels like you forgot about Eagles and just threw right. them in at the end because you're like, oh wait, there was an Eagle here. So right. this is to let the audience know that no, we did not in fact forget about the Eagles. We know yeah. about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, and okay. again, to give the Eagles their motivation. They're, they're, it, the audience doesn't get to know why the Eagles rescue Baron and Luthien without a narrator telling you. Well, the, it's because this is an important story, and that's why the Eagles are here. It still is, is. That's still why. Yeah. That's still so why. Now, yeah. So, so now we're giving Dairon the role of that narration to yes. tell the Eagles. And, um, and the Eagles will know about Luthien, right? Oh, It's sure. not like they won't ever heard of her before. Like the, right. The, the point is – so in the other words – like, is what, that what, she's what, doing the Silmaril quest thing – because she loves someone. Yes. Not because she suddenly decided she likes Silmarils or something, right. which the the sort of tragedy of the whole situation. Um yeah, he'd be he'd be they would get that from his song. But the point is my 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 point which is very simple is just 
everybody has heard of Luthien. Um, they're going to know that she's a really big deal. And, but what they will not have heard is that she's on a, you know, two person quest to Angband. Right. Right. Um, that's, that's the news. <laughs> that, that's the news. And they, and the Eagles, there's every reason to think that the Eagles would think that news alone to be a really big deal. Right. Like that they would be. And also they would have heard about Baron too. Like the whole, he's the friends of the animals thing. Sounds like something that would have like uh, worked its way up the, you know, bestial grapevine to them as well. Possibly. I mean, yeah, it's true. The Eagles are right there next to Dorthonian. It's hard to think that the outlaws wouldn't have been news to the Eagles as well. Yeah. Um, and especially when Theron Glethel did her uh, intensive sweep of Dorthonian and had her vampires all over the place, surely the Eagles are paying attention to that as well. Um, yeah. Not enough to save Tarn Iluin, though, so they weren't, like, spying on the outlaws. They just had heard of them, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I would, I would think that they would be informed about that and it would have, would have mm -hmm. heard and respect Baron. The reason I mentioned the animal friendship thing is I know that like, you know, the Eagles aren't just animals like the other animals that are friends with Baron. Um, but I'm thinking about Radagast. Radagast is friends with the animals and has a really good relationship with the Eagles. And that doesn't sure. seem to be an, a, an accident, right? I mean, they seem to respect mm -hmm. Radagast. Um, and the thing that Radagast is famous for, according to Gandalf, is that he's friends with all the animals, right? So, um, I mean, that, that seems to be part of the picture with Radagast sure. and the Eagles. And so, therefore, it would seem logical to kind of make that connection that they would have heard of and respect Baron, um, in part because of what the story leads us to believe is quite an unusual and remarkable um, character trait in him, which is his friendship with the animals. Um, but anyway, okay, so, so they, will, they, they, they obviously know Luthien. They will have heard of Baron. They're very interested in the idea of the quest. They will believe Dairon, right? Unlike the rest of the Sindar, right, who are mm -hmm. not believing Dairon about what's going on here. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that, um, that seems to work. That seems to kind of fit together. It seems like it might as well be Thorondor who comes down. I don't know. I um, mean, so I would prefer to not be for the same reason that I didn't want the elves who met, uh, the Haladin initially on the, um, east side of, Doriath to be Beleg. Like, okay. you you shouldn't run into Thorandor every time that you could possibly run into Thorandor. Okay. And you every time that you run into an eagle should not actually be the lord of all eagles. <laughs> right? It just... That would seem I think more convenient. Yeah. Then... Um, Marie, do you have a, an opinion of what are the names of the other eagles who rescue Baron and Luthien? Well, are you asking if it's Squahair and Landreval? Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't it be, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's where I am. Just See, that would be, that would be better, the in my there. opinion, like to, to introduce Squahair? at least the, the, you know, sure. the visual of, of why here here would be, would be mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, and that can imply that 
if Guai here's the one who was convinced that this is a mission they should take on, he went and told Thorndor about it, and they had a little eagle discussion, and then yeah. that's what we yeah. see happen in the next episode. Yeah, yeah no, so. I think this would, be, this would be great to introduce Guai here. By the way, you realize what this means, however, long term? We have to do something about the Rondor. I know, but we have the War of Wrath at the end of the first I assume age. it's... Right, it's and either and he's going to die in the War of Wrath... Or and Caligon the go- Black. And Caligon it's the Black, gonna... right? That's kind of yeah. exactly what I was thinking, too. And Caligon the Black oh, kills the Oh, that's so, yeah. like, oof. Like, that's Metal, gonna, right? like, people are going to be, people are going to be horrified. Yeah. Because Tolkien never kills off the eagles in his stories. Except that he totally did. <laughs> he just didn't yeah. do it on screen for us. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's how we introduce uh... Caligon the Black. It's how, it's, I think that's how we introduce the winged uh, dragons. Right, uh, and yeah. then Calgon is have them come in and kill Thorondor. Um, yeah. yeah, which would make it seem pretty hopeless from there on out. You're like, yeah. oh, well, now what? Yeah, that's now it. That's it. It's over. It's done. But it's, it's, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think we can. We can take this one to the bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, <sighs> anyway, yeah. sorry. But no, okay, this is so there. The the little dog survived. <laughs> the this episode. Thorondor will survive yet for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. um but um but I'm just saying if we like if Thorondor is the only named eagle we get in the first stage, and then later on in the third third age we're getting Gwai here, then you know, anything could have happened. Like they could die of old age and this could be a, a, a successor or something. But if Gwai here and Landreval are there in the first stage, there has to be a reason why Thorondor isn't still there in the third. Right. And right. so so it just yeah. it obviously that is the fact that we have to dispose of Thorondor somehow is a corollary to including mm-hmm. Gwai here, which I think we totally should do. Yeah. And considering the first age is 500 years long and we wanted Thorondor at the beginning and now and later, I, I wouldn't want him to die of old age sometime no. during the no. second age. It yeah. would feel that very would contrived. Yeah. Well, just no, the contrived. Other... Like the, oh, he suddenly got old. <laughs> right. Right, like, but why here doesn't like you know yeah, five thousand yeah. years later? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, if, now, I mean that I do realize that means why here is like at least six thousand years old, but you know, so it's Galadriel, so it's fine. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, I think um, uh, I love it. I love it. No, I mean the only other thing, the only other good fate for Thorondor would just be to have him choose to leave Middle Earth at the end of you know after true. the War of Wrath. But true. Uh, um, but uh, come on. And Caligon, right? Uh, that was where yeah. I thought that was all going. Totally. So glad we're on the same page about all these things. That's, it does that make it easier. Fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay, good. Um, uh, and that's kind of... Oh, Huan. So um, we did most of the Huan stuff. He doesn't mm. speak in this episode. Yes, he does. No, no, he does. This is his second speech in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when he gives them advice, yeah. and it, his speech ends with the uh, "and what you meet at the gate, I will also meet later on." Mm. Right, right, thing. right. So this is so basically what we sh- the speech, <laughs> the speech that we give to Huan, and like it's just, it's got to be the most high pressure moments of screenwriting in the entire season, right? Is like writing Huan's three line three speeches. Um, anyway, it's kind of a big deal, but. Uh, Huan's second speech here, he should be the one to, like, bridge the gap, right? He points yeah. out the two, like, 
he affirms the truth that each one of them perceives and leads, you know, so, so having him be the one who steps in and prevents them from continuing to be thinking at cross purposes the way that they are makes a lot of sense. And we have Luthien be the decision maker to the, hey, we need to figure this out. But Huan's the one who had the insight. And mm-hmm. Baron does betray her. So I didn't want her to just get over it really fast. Right. And be like, it's okay that you left me and didn't talk about all this. Right. Let's go to Angban together. So that's part of what the massacre of the elves is for, is to give Luthien some things to think about. And they're the, right. oh, Baron was right about these things. Mm-hmm. but he's wrong about what needs to happen overall. So right. Right. that's where she decides that just because he left me doesn't mean we can't be together and uh, goes to talk to him about right. that. Okay. And yeah. yeah and, and again, having Huan's intervention be the thing that settles stuff. So she doesn't have to just get over it spontaneously and be no. okay with it. Right. Um, he can, ex- you know, show them how, like both of them are right. Both of them have part of the picture and they're not understanding, you know, they're not understanding what the other is seeing. And so both of them can. Yeah. I, I I think that, you know, that making him really pivotal to that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, okay. Um, so what does he do? He, why doesn't Huan go with them? It is not his fate to do so. Yeah, he just, he knows better. And and that's why the last thing he says is about, I'm going to meet what you meet at the gate. Like, I'm not actually bowing out of this, but I'm bowing out for now. Like, it's not my fate to go with you here. So have fun, kids. (laughs) That's going to be hard to swallow. I know. The whole thing not, is tricky. Well, Baron's right. They're not going to get into Angban any easier because they're tougher or stronger. Right. And he could even affirm Baron explicitly in that and say, yeah, like, um, it might seem like my coming with you would help, you know, would be a help, you know, would increase your odds, but it won't. And it's not by force. Like if I and you know, an entire army came along with you, it wouldn't make it any likelier that you will succeed. Um, Yeah. Again, the parallel. Bringing Huan along would be like bringing Glorfindel along on the quest of the ring, right? Um, Seems like it would be obviously helpful to have Glorfindel along, but Elrond is actively like, actually, no. Let's sandbag this as much as possible because that's not how it's supposed to work. It is not by strength. Um, Yeah, yeah. And that's why they get away with this thing with the fate is that Baron and Luthien love each other, and that's why they're doing this quest, and the fate mm-hmm. of the world is tied into it. Mm-hmm. Huon recognizes that he he might care very deeply for Baron and Luthien, but he's not part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not trying to make himself part of that. Right. Right. 
Like, this is their story. They need to go do their thing. Yeah. So he doesn't go because he's wise. And he sees further than either one of them, which is why he's able to reconcile them and help them to understand. He sees the, the hole where they only see a part. And part of that, one of the things that he sees in seeing the hole is that he would not, him being with them would not help them and uh, that it isn't his fate to do so. We just have to make that convincing and not sound too weird. But honestly, this kind of thing in Tolkien is always weird. People still, you know, many, many are the readers who still find it weird that they don't bring Gorfindel with them on the quest of the ring. Like, I've answered that question many times over the years. Um, so, yeah, the, it's because there is Gorfindel is not a mercenary about. service. <laughs> Just like the Eagles are not a taxi service. Right. It's true. But again, like. In, here it's even more like he is shown he's committed to them like he left Keligorm for these people right yeah. and so for him to be like but anyway <clears throat> bye now see ya you're probably gonna die but you know like you're going to what seems almost certain death but I'm not gonna help I mean that's that's yeah it's hard he, to, for that to says, feel intuitive I will only hurt your chances yes yeah and even like if you think about that in a practical sense it's it's actually even easy to understand that Right. He's famous. Huan is famous. They know him by the enemy knows him by sight. Yeah. There's right? no I mean, there's no disguise that can Yeah. That He's, can shield me from them. Exactly. I mean if they show up with if they show up on their own with their disguises, they might get in. Right? If they show up <laughs> with Huan, I mean, yeah, he's like the heavy cavalry. In, in fact Morgoth but, sees through Luthien's disguise. Yes. Yes. Um, and they yeah. only have one Drogloin skin. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's really what this comes down to is if they just had one more werewolf pelt. Insufficient quantity of werewolf pelts. They could have disguised Huan as a werewolf and snuck in with Huan. And yep. then that dance scene in the throne room would have gone a little differently. Yes. <laughs> There'd be a lot more carnage on the floor afterwards if Huan were there. <laughs> yes. Exactly. No, I think. Um, no, that makes that's yeah, it's good. I said that, that is going to be a challenging scene. But again, I think I think we have the framework for that. It's just I think there's just no way around the fact that that's kind of tricky. So you're right. And I know people are disappointed when you don't put all the fun characters together. <laughs> like It's like, yeah. yay, who on is here? Yay, Baron and Luthien is here. All right. They should all go and do the thing. It's like, no, no, we'll do that. We'll do that in two more episodes. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, the, you won't like it. <laughs> the comparatively small amount of time that the three of them spend together is a sacrifice. It's, it's hard. Um, but that's the, um, that's the cruel reality. Um, Okay, cool. Well, that is episode nine. Next time. So we have to, um, not in two weeks, because I'll be away in two weeks. I'll be at a convention in two weeks. But in three weeks, on March 30th, um, we will get together to discuss episode 10. We will get to Angband, the invasion of Angband and Luthien before Morgoth. Um big episode next time they're all big episodes from here but um 
Uh, but we've got a big episode next time, so that's what we'll be talking about. Um, you guys are doing the script discussion for the final episode um, next Friday, right? The 17th? Yes. Correct. Somebody may have flaked out last, last week. <laughs> Nick, you don't have to call yourself out like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Um, so uh, the 17th, Friday the 17th at 8 p.m. is all good. Um, script discussion for episode 13 and then we'll discuss episode 10 on the 30th all right very good thanks everybody um as i say i think this for um you know again an episode in which very little occurs right um this is an important episode and i again i really like it i think it's i think it's i think it's very elegantly handled um and a lot of the really difficult issues i think have been um set up really beautifully here so and i appreciate uh i appreciate all of the problems and i can't wait for Ankalagon and therondor now that is gonna be so awesome we'll get to it in about a decade very good um thanks everybody and we'll say as always thanks for listening and godspeed